You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim Wolfrey. And you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is basketball coach Felicia Leggett-Jack. Felicia graduated from Syracuse in 1989 as the all-time leader for points and rebounds. She transitioned quickly into coaching and in 2002, was appointed head coach at Hofstra University. In 2006, she became the head coach of Indiana University in the Big Ten Conference. During her six years there, the Hoosiers won 18 or more games three times and made postseason appearances in each of those years. After a six-win season, she was fired. She was given another chance as a head coach at the University of Buffalo and has led the Bulls to a period of sustained success, winning the Mid-American Conference in 2018 and getting through to the Sweet 16 at that year's NCAA tournament. Along the way, she has also served on two USA Basketball gold medal winning coaching staffs. Felicia is a coach with a deep reservoir of resilience and wisdom that comes from the long and winding road she has taken from the tenements of New York City to being courtside at the NCAA championship. She believes in redemption and second chances and the power of authenticity to bridge the divide with the people around you. 
and is determined that in her words, my certainty must be greater than everyone's doubts. The other key highlights of this interview were how her playing experience as only being seen as an athlete and not a whole person has informed her philosophy as a coach so that now her focus is on character, academics, and then basketball. Her experience of racism and how this drove her to realize that she wasn't being her authentic self as a coach, which meant she was being too cerebral and not working on her emotional drive. And her view that what we see when we look in the mirror is the thing that matters most in the journey of life. This was a wonderful conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Felicia Leggett. Jack, good afternoon and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. So fantastic to be a part of this. Thank you for having me. We're very excited to talk to you today. We love a little bit of basketball and particularly when we talk to American basketball coaches because that, of course, is the spiritual home of the game. Felicia, can I start with a really complex and deep question? Could I ask you where you are in the world and what have you been doing so far today? Absolutely. I am located in Buffalo, New York. I'm originally from Syracuse, New York, which is two hours from here. This will be my 33rd year coaching basketball. And so I never thought that I'd do this this long. I just said, I'll do it for a couple of years here and there. But next thing you know, you just blink and it's not even a job. It's just a, it's your being, it's a part of who you are. And so by this little round basketball has taken me all over the world. And at this point, I'm located in Buffalo. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about those 33 years and all the learnings along the way. But maybe I'll start a little bit by talking to you about some of the great coaches that you've had exposure to. In researching you, I could see that there's Willetta Spies, who I understand is a legend. There's Barb Jacobs and, of course, Coach Joanne P. McCauley, who we've had on the show. But what is it you think these great coaches do differently that sets them apart from everybody else? They study the people that they're going to surround themselves with. And I think that I've learned that through the years. Willetta Spies, she saw me when I was only in the seventh grade, and she knew that the work ethic for my mom and our family would be important for her to grow a high school team that she had just taken on at Nottingham. And uh, she asked if my mother permission to see if I can take a, a physical test to see if I can be a part of her team. I'm thinking that, uh, you know, I'll be on the JV team. We passed the test and she put me on varsity in the eighth grade. And she said that in order from her to protect me, I needed to be with her on, on a constant basis as opposed to being with a JV coach. And I understood that because as I embarked on my career in high school, those upper class ladies were very serious about what they thought they, they deserved, not necessarily what they've earned. And because they were older, they should start or play more minutes. And I started in the eighth grade and it was a lot of uh, confrontation and I had a strong African-American woman who protected me through that process because she didn't want me to put a foot on my flower because I was uh, pretty good at, at a very early age. And so I, I love that about her and coach Barbara Jacobs. She saw me, I think, in the 10th grade and she started recruiting me early on and, and saw that same kind of situation. And I was a top 40 student athlete coming out of high school and I just love the way she really wanted me to be a part of her program. And I love to be close to my mom. So it's kind of like a 
wonderful like storm, if you will. And I, out of all the schools that recruited me, no one had that opportunity to be able to play in front of my mother, but also who cared enough to keep recruiting me ever since I was in the 10th grade. So Barbara Jacobs was, was that person for me. And we did some fun things together at Syracuse University. Joanne P. McCauley, I never knew her personally. I just knew her by being out recruiting and she watched how I recruited. She had the, the biggest opportunity at the BCS level. She wanted somebody that to recruit for her that can really get after recruiting the way she would. And she she contacted me with us not even knowing each other that well and asked me to be her recruiting coordinator at Michigan State. She's one small thing. She said, she said, I'm about nine and a half months pregnant. I've taken this job sight unseen. And I would like for you to you and your husband to go to Michigan State to see what it looks like first and also to get an opportunity for you to leave your home, which is Syracuse as an assistant coach at the time, and to join me at Michigan State. And so I go to Michigan State to, for my visit with these strange people. And a small thing is going on at that time. It's a celebration. The men's basketball team has just won the national championship. And so at the time, President Clinton was our president and he was there and Tom Izzo was showing him around and his hundreds and hundreds of people all over the place. And my husband and I were like, what is going on? We couldn't have made this a, a better situation. And through that whole media circus, Tom Izzo stopped what he was doing and came over to me and said, I heard you're the person that Coach P wants to hire first. And I said, yes, she did. But I'm sorry, sir, you go and do what you're doing. This is amazing what was, what was happening. And he shared with me that they've just won a championship. But that's not why he was there. He doesn't just want to win championships where men's basketball is the only sport in town. He wanted to create a dynasty where everybody wins. And he said that if you come here, which was me and my husband, we have an opportunity to create a dynasty. Because if you can recruit kids like I recruit kids, we all can win. And so my husband and I were like, oh, we're coming. You know? And so it's really neat that people that can see something bigger within you earlier on prior to you really having a connection with them. And those three in particular women saw something inside me that kind of worked well for them. Talking about Syracuse, you graduated with a psychology degree. And so I'd like to ask you, based on what you know now, 33 years later as a coach, what do you wish they would have taught you back then? One thing that, you know, I was a pretty good student athlete, more athlete than student. I don't think that I was really pushed to be the best student I could be. I certainly knew my mom would have been disappointed had I not graduated and gave my best effort. But there was many times where it wasn't demanded that I gave my best effort as a student. And I wish that people would have not looked at me just as a, as a great athlete. And as a, as a coach now, I, I take that very seriously. We have this thing called CAB, which is you're going to have to have the best character. You're going to have to have the give me your best effort academically. And if you're not getting a 3.0, you're going to get a tutor for every class that, that you're under that. In the basketball piece, we're going to have to have a work ethic that's second to none. And I had a basketball work ethic that was second to none. I worked okay as a student. And uh, the character piece is, was just me not wanting to disappoint my mother. And it wasn't something that we was mandated by the people in charge at my institution. 
of college. I wish that I would have been able to have been pushed that way a little bit more. I wish that financial piece would have been mandated for all student athletes where we learn how to balance the checkbook and coming from the inner city. There is no checkbook because there's not enough money to go in the bank. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we didn't have those luxuries of understanding that dynamic. And I think that we needed to, to do those things a little bit more and, and, and create that atmosphere for our, all the students at that time. I know that all the things that I wanted as a student athlete, I make certain I implement as a coach. Felicia, you've had a great journey as a coach and there's been some ups and downs. And in fact, you've talked a lot about the mistakes you made as an early coach. In fact, I read that you apologized to some of the players from West Hills and Hofstra for some of the things Mm -hmm. that happened. I don't really want to go over that, but what I wanted to ask you is what did you learn about listening that has helped you today as a coach from that experience? I definitely listen a lot, but my passion superseded what I heard. And so you'll never get me to overtalk you. I've always was a listener. My issue was that I really, really wanted people to understand me. My passion was so intense that I wanted every player that I ever coached to be way better than me. Just not just a little bit, but way better than me. But I want to create the space so that their work ethic has to go beyond that. And what I realized through my difficulties as a younger head coach, sometimes even now, the passion that I have is different than a lot of people. You know I mean? no, one, no one can outwork me. No one can do it earlier or get it, stay later or, or, or really get after it like me. And it's okay. A lot of people get there different, differently than, than, than me. But I, I didn't have a lot of the tools that a lot of young coaches have now that can help you navigate your thought process to other people so that it can, they can just become what they're supposed to. But my crazy way of thinking, like everybody can be great. Everybody can be a superstar. Everybody can get on that. I also won a national championship at Hofstra. You couldn't tell me differently. All we got to do is outwork them. All we got to do is out-tough them. All we got to do is outthink them. And so let's all put that all together. And those young people were like, they saw just the coach that's pushing them with the whip. And the, the more, again and again, and they never really saw me as the mother that I was or the, the wife that I was and the soft side that I had because that was, to me, the least important thing for their dreams. And so what I've learned through the, the apologies of the aggressive behavior that I, I have for my young people was that they really just needed a hug. They just really needed to, to be told that it's just going to be okay. And this woman's basketball game, the, there's a period to it very quickly. It will be, but the comma and the continuation of dot, dot, dots is what you've learned cerebrally and how that can navigate you for the rest of your life. And I got that aha moment as we got older, but I wish that I could have been a, a better person when it came to, let's just go to have, like I just came before I got on with you. I was with one of my like now former players because she's graduated in, in about five days, having breakfast with Hannah Hall and just sitting there and just shooting the breeze and, and laughing and, that, that was unheard of for me when I was a younger coach. 
So you go from West Hills, Hofstra, then you head over to Indiana, Big Ten, and after six years and a 48% win record, you part ways with them. And what I was really interested in reading about that, you say you vowed that you would be your authentic self next time round. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you've yeah. started to talk about that. But I want to know, what, Felicia, what stopped you from being your authentic self, do you think? You know, when I got, I went there for a couple of reasons. What people didn't understand, I, I knew that hatred was very prevalent in the state of Indiana. Not because you were better than me or worse than me, because you looked different than me. And so I went there fully aware that I was going to be different, but I was going to be in a position where everyone seemed to love, and that's basketball. I think Indiana was the mecca of basketball. I think New York City is the mecca of the world. I think that Indiana is where people envision basketball was actually made, which is not the place, but it became bigger than life. And here I was going to be the women's coach over there. And I was going to be a black woman there. And I was going to have people see the inner side of people instead of the outer side of people. And I had a wonderful president there, President Herbert, who was an African-American and a, a great AD in Rick Greenspan who really convinced me that we can move the mountain together. We're going to move the mountain. They even hired a gentleman named Calvin Sampson, who was, he's Indian, but he's also African-American in our minds. So he was a guy of color. And so they're doing some really great things by bringing all of this together at one time. So not only are we going to win championships on the basketball court, we're going to really bring in some really fun people there to, to grow the academics. And, and we're really going to let people see that, it's about the content of the character. It's about the love that you have for each other. It's not about this black, white thing. It's about, and so we went there and we were moving that mountain our first year. A lot of kids quit the team because they didn't come there to play for me. And that was okay. We start, we started our first year with six players and we won 20 games. We went to Notre Dame. We went to Kentucky and we beat them on their home court with 10,000 people. And we, because people believed in me and I believed in them and I believed in what we were trying to create together. That second year, we did great too. We took a dip on 18 games. The third year, we tied the most wins in the history of the program. We were well on our way to create what I thought was an incredible time. And, and that third year is when everything changed and our men's coach got fired. Our AD and our president took a spill too. They had to be removed from their position. And, and I think what I thrive on are people. And it's not the, the bricks and the borders, it's the people. And when the gentleman that came in and took the job on, from Rick Greenspan, maybe wouldn't have been a guy that hired me, nor would I have been a person that would have said yes to him. And so now we're in a situation, you got a coach that's really changed the trajectory of which way IAU was seen. We were winners then. Do I leave, which I was asked to leave by a couple of universities, or do I stay? And keep in mind, and after my first year at, Michigan, at, at Indiana, Michigan State asked me to come back to be their head coach, and they threw everything at me. But I don't leave for a job because I, I work for people. And I thought that those guys that brought me there was really the people that I supposed to have helped for the reasons I shared to, to change the world, basically, <laughs> through the game. And so we turn that down and then our AD and our president gets fired. New people come in. I decided to stay and now things transpired. So and my thing is like, I wasn't ever afraid of this losing part or even the firing part. 
is the decision-making part on my end from my heart that really, really made me feel like I wasn't being my authentic self. I felt like if I was going to grow smartly through this, this profession I chose, I had to be a little bit more cerebral. And so I never really, I really always, I always think about my last three years at, at Indiana survive because I don't know how to quit and they didn't want to fire me at the time. And I made some, some tough hires that I, I did with my heart again, because good friends were out of jobs and I gave them opportunities. And that's a, a formula for what came out of the last couple of years of my my lack of success or and or my success, because firing isn't always bad. It's just when you're going through it, it feels like, you know, you die a slow death. But in retrospect, looking back, it was the best thing that I ever that ever happened to me outside of my husband and my son due to the fact the learning curve became like 100 percent better. We really love from our heart. And I'd done that heart thing because I was so tough at Hofstra that I'm going to change and I'm going to let people in. And then I go there and I go all heart. And then I'm like, well, crap, my brain got me to Indiana. And, you know, I just wanted those people to see me so authentic. And I never was that for them. They meet me in the grocery store and they like, hey, you should have ran this. You're right. I probably should have. You should have done this with your play. I probably you might be right. They were all right. And I never shared with them the truth. Let me be the coach. I don't go to the engineering department and say, let me pull this plug and see if this worked. So why are you in my job? We realized after being fired that I got to figure out how to put this thing all together. And this is where my authenticity came in here at University of Buffalo, where my head is in the game and my heart is in the game. My whole self is present. And whatever comes out of this presence, we'll have to accept. Well, when they hire you, They actually say, there's an announcement. I'd like to read you the quote because it's amazing. She's more focused on what these women think about her 20 years later than winning today because she's about the whole woman. It's an amazing quote, Felicia. Thank you. What does success mean to you as a coach? Giving your best effort and that's success. And then some people don't give their best effort because they might be frowned upon or how they look in, during that process. Some people don't give their best effort because what if I fail? But I think that what success is, is being able to leave that day and go to your mirror and be able to say, yeah, there was nothing left for that day. There was just nothing left. I left it all out there. And if it's, there's something that is left, if he wakes you up, our God wakes you up in the morning, you check that box too. And to me, it's just as simple as that. I used to think it was more grandiose than that. Success is by my mama's house. Success is getting us out of the ghetto, uh, fulfilling the role that my dad didn't serve because he left when I was eight. I mean, all those things seemed to matter so much more when I was younger. But at this ripe old age of 54, success is just giving your best step. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, let's talk about best effort because you start with Buffalo in 2012. And by the third year, you're invited to the WNIT. The next season, you win your first ever MAC championship and your NCAA tournament berth. It's a great start. But what I want to ask you is, if you can cast your mind back, what were the first things you did that set these results up? I grieved. I grieved through the process of losing opportunities, of being not my whole self, and and yet I brought to the table a a broken coach. I, I, I had some amazing people around me that just really wanted somebody to say they loved them and that they belonged. And I took over a team that won nine games. And I said, if I can just bring effort and energy and enthusiasm, maybe they cannot see the brokenness of this coach. And and I need to figure out how to fix this, you know, and I, I just kept going. And, and then, you know, Kristen Sharkey, who's still my assistant coach to this day, she was the first player that really just bought into it. If I tell her, I said, tell her to walk through a wall and then you get to come back through it. And she would say, which wall you say, coach? I didn't, because I didn't remember which one you said, you know, she would walk through a wall and, and she just really was the foundation of, uh, of someone that got the residuals of a broken coach, but was willing to sacrifice it all for, for, for me. And that's why it was very important that I bring her on my staff. If I ever got that opportunity, and then I met a young lady named Sierra Dillard, who was as broken as I was. And I think that was in year two or three. She was playing over at New Mass, and we went out there and we played and we won. And I just hugged her. I said, man, I wish I had a good chance to coach you. We didn't realize that she was going through a real tough time and, and ended up in thinking about transferring by the middle of that year. And she came over to play for me. So I had to show her what it was like to not be broken. And so my concentration wasn't about me. It was about really trying to make certain she see some real stuff. And we had a Stephanie Reed on the team who was like, hey, coach, what can we do? To, you know, we got some really fun players. And I think with Sierra Dealer coming here and needing my wholeness has made me really complete myself and help me pursue some things. And before that, there was a Joanna Joanne, Joanna Smith was our first second, our second year person that I, I came here and her, her mother made her come to play for me. She said, I don't know what Joanne is. She, she's from Mississippi. She talks so fast. I, I don't know what Joanne thinks about, but I tell you what they go, she's going to come play for you. I'm like, why? And there's something that these people saw in me, just like the Willetta Species and the Barbara Jacobs and Joanne P. McCauley's. The parents of these kids were saying yes to me more so than the kids. And I'm like, this is where I need to be. People like that, Sierra's mom convinced her to come play. A lot of people want to see her. A lot of people wanted Joanna Smith, who was from Mississippi. There must be something good about me that will make me belong here. So it was never about me being a great coach and changing anything. It was just about me getting more and more full. And the brokenness was subsiding daily as we went through the process. And as you probably saw, like the first championship we won, Stephanie hits the, the shot, the running shot. I told her you got two dribbles in 3.4 seconds and just take them, take any, any dribble you wherever you want, just take two dribbles. And 
throw the ball in the air. All we can do is go in overtime. And that's all she remembered. And then Cassie sets the screen. And after they, while they're celebrating, I sit down because that was my time with my God. And I just said, thank you for allowing this to come to pass because as a as assistant coach or head coach, I've never been to the NCAA tournament. And through the firing and the grieving, you saw fit for me to have this moment. And I sat there and I thank God. After we they said the game's over, you won. I went out there and, and we celebrated with the team. Love, energy, enthusiasm, fun. These are great words. But tell me, what are your values as a coach? I value the whole woman. I, I value all of it. The rich kid who's never seen uh, because money's supposed to make the family happy. I value the poor kid who all she wanted was a hug from a parent or a brother or sister. I value the adopted kid who's in search of something that may not ever be found. You come to me as your whole self. I present to you my whole self. And I think that if we can get something out of that better than it was yesterday, to me, that, that's why I do it. And that's why it doesn't feel like this is year 33, because every single day through that door walks a person that's in need of being valued. So I, I think young women have it worse than most because I think that we're pretty smart. I think that we're pretty compassionate. I think that we, we are undervalued and therefore we undervalue ourselves. And what I think is uh, the most valued thing I can bring as a coach is to share with all of the, the whole kid, the broken kid, the, the lost kid is the ability to look in their eyes and let them know I see them and that they matter. And from there, we'll figure out the rest of it. And I got a quote here that I keep next to me. It said, my certainty, it must be greater than everyone's doubts. And that's very important for young people because there's so much doubt in young women that if you share with them that they are the best ever, I see them, you matter, they fly and they flourish. And, and I, I just really enjoy the fact that I look back at all my players that I ever coached that I think one kid has lost her way. And I mean, I'm talking about all the way back to Hofstra. And so that's what I value the most is the fact that I can help people find and feel their value, even on days I feel broken. Wonderful answer, Felicia. I I want to just go from there into exploring this idea of it being about, not about you, but being the athletes. Because there's a, there's a great quote I've got here. And you say, it's never about me. My time was when I was a student athlete at Syracuse and it was really awesome. And I made it about me. But as a coach, my journey is about how I can help serve other people. And I think you've talked about it a little bit, but I'd still like to ask the question, was there an event or a person that triggered this change to a more selfless view? The person that is, is the best person I ever got the luxury, the privilege, the honor to know was my mother. I know that she wished that she could have really went to college. She always shared with us that if she went to college, she would make that the biggest thing ever. She really would have enjoyed that opportunity. She would have really threw herself inside of that role of being that student or even that athlete. She was a terrible athlete, but she always tried to think she was an athlete. And we got all her, our skills from her, but she would throw that title at us at every now and again. But her whole 
thing that she regret that never happened was the fact that she never had a chance to go to college. And so through that process of getting an opportunity to go to college, I was going to enjoy that experience. I was going to have the most fun ever because I think subliminally, that's what mom would have done. She would have had fun. She would have had a beer every now and again, but she would, would have played the game with high octane and she would have been a pretty good, she probably been a better student than me for sure because my mom was pretty smart. But when the role of motherhood came and dad left, everything was about us, everything. She'll cook a meal for us and she pretend that she's not hungry and you can hear her stomach growl, but she wanted to make certain that her children were fed and they were continue. Sure, you guys go, oh, I'm going to put together a plate now. But if there was no food left, She'd be the one to wash the dishes and she just really made it about us. And we'd have games. My brothers played and I played. There was one time my, my brothers had an Empire State game. He, one of them played in the Scholastic. The other one played in Open. And I played in the Scholastic League in another gym. But she came to every single game. 30, first half there, second half with me, third half she goes. And she just made it happen. She'd come to our games at night, my games at night at 7 o'clock. She's supposed to go like clean buildings at night. She'll come into my games and watch me play. Then she'll go and clean the buildings at 10, 11 o'clock at night because they don't get to work to six in the morning. And by the way, she had to be to work at six in the morning for her real job. And so that it was, I watched selfless on a constant basis all my life. And so I had my fun in college. I had my fun even a little bit after college. But if I was going to be in charge of somebody else's children, it was important that I throw myself into their life totally and make it about them and let them feel that same sense of sensation of what selflessness really looks like. I don't do it justice as much as she did, my mom, but I certainly try to do it a little bit of justice by reminding myself every day. It's about the Hannah Halls, the Sierra Dills, the Joanna Smiths, the, the people that come in front of me, even the players that quit on me. I still have an obligation if they call to help them along the way because the role model I had was the most selfless human being I ever had the privilege of seeing. So that's where I get it from. And I, and I, I am certainly work in progress, but every day I try to get it just a 1% better. Felicia, you strike me as someone that's got strong self-belief. I know it might just be outward. We've never met before today. But you, you talk about these young women coming to you and they're having challenges and they're growing and they're away from home and all the issues that go with being young and being on a sports team and in a campus. Have you got any tips? Have you found anything that's useful in helping others build self-belief? I just think that it's important that, young, that people really have their moments of understanding themselves. And, and a lot of people want to fix people or share, this is what I did. And so this is going to work. And I try not to go there. I try not, I try to meet them where they are and they share with me what they think has been beneficial for them. Like I want to give you an example. One of my um, players has been offered an opportunity to coach at a higher level. She turned the job down on two occasions already. And I was on vacation and she called me and said, this job is going to offer me astronomical money. And I know I'm comfortable here. I think I can build this job that I'm doing. And I just said, it's an opportunity financially to change the trajectory of your family, your child's family. I think that you deserve that another Zoom call with these people to see if this is something you want to do. Well, 
I come back to yesterday and she texted me and she said she, she never did that third Zoom because it didn't fit my spirit, coach. And I said, freedom. And she said, what do you mean? I said, God has allowed you the ability to have freedom to make your own choice. I gave you my opinion. You made your choice. I can't be more proud of this moment than I ever have been as your coach or watching you in this business. I say, go forward with God and, I, and know that he is real and he's working through you. He's giving me an opportunity to make decisions based on you hear, you listen, but you made that decision. Look at you. And that's how I try to present where if you force me to have an opinion, I will, but I want it to be your choice. I want to be able to support you through that opinion. And you might, I got a thing up here, a picture of my mom and says, you know what? Go forward. You might fail or you might fly, but it'll be your choice of yours. And so I try to make it about these young people to have choices. Some kids say, you know, coach, I think that this is not the place for me. I don't want to be here anymore. Let me help you get to the place you want to be. And we fight hard to get you to that place. A couple of my players have decided they want to come back and they can't. But I tell them that because that you, you're not worthy, it's just that you needed to make that decision to continue to go forward. Let me help you find the next place to go forward with. But you didn't make the wrong decision. You didn't know this is not a bad thing. It's just this is the journey you're supposed to be on. So, no, I don't, don't have an answer on what's the f- word I would use or the statement I make to help them find their way. I think the best thing, that, in my opinion, is to allow people to evolve and say and become and fail and fly and su- succeed. Or fit. But the mirror is the only thing that matters most on this journey that we call life. Felicia, just one last question, if I could. And before I ask it, I'd like to play back another quote I have from you. And you say, I think that it's my responsibility to these young people that I coach to let them know that I'm empowering you not just to be a great basketball player, but to be a phenomenal woman. Mm. So I wanted to finish by just asking, 33 years down, maybe another 33 to go, who knows? But when you finish, what's the legacy that you want to leave as a coach? The legacy that I hope to leave is that every person that spoke with me, played for me, witnessed me, feel that by being in my presence, they can become like me, but hopefully better than me. And because I give people permission to be great. And I think that every young person that come to me are girls. And I think that every person that stay with me, understand that it's no one can call you a girl by your freshman year, because at 18, you become old enough to fight in a war. So you're young ladies. And by the end, by 21, when your brain, 25, when your brain is fully developed, you've lived enough life where you believe that anything that I, that you do cannot just be good enough, but extraordinarily enough that it could become phenomenal. And I pray that by me just being present and within myself and be my 100% authentic self, that everybody that comes up around me realizes that they too can become and that they too matter and not just being really good. I could be phenomenally great. And that's a woman or a man. And so that that's my dream. And every day I wake up and I feel tired sometimes. I say, you know what, that one person I might meet at the corner store might need to be encouraged by my energy 
about how amazing he or she might be. So I got to get myself together before I leave this shower and this bathroom and throw my little eyeliner on. I got to get my energy right because they need me to be all I can be so they can become all that he has for them to become. Felicia Leggett, Jack, it's been a privilege to spend an hour with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All, all the best for a break, potentially over the off-season, and, and good luck for next year in your 34th year. And all the best to your two young daughters. They have an incredible and phenomenal human being in their presence every day. Your humility, your energy has enlightened me to, to really feel comfortable enough to tell my story. They're very lucky to have you as a dad. So thank you. The Great Coaches Podcast. You've been listening to our discussion with Felicia Leggett-Jack. I really love this conversation and I know that Paul got a little flush of pride in the words she used to close that interview. The other highlights across the interview were how her passion to coach everyone to be better than she was meant that she lost engagement with her players and now she tempers that drive and focuses on what she needs to do to help each player as an individual. How she values the whole woman and tries to make them fly and flourish by ensuring that her certainty is greater than their doubt and wanting to leave a legacy where by being her authentic self, everyone who comes across her can realize that they can become not just good, but phenomenally great. I hope you enjoyed this as much as Paul and I did. Coming up next on the Great Coaches Podcast, we'll be speaking to Olympic gold medal winning coach, Tim Walsh. Creating that, that vision around what we thought was gonna win a gold medal, and then, so we had the vision, and then it was like, okay, what, how are we gonna get all those players to, together? So I basically had to do a skill matrix. So what, what was the competitive advantage going to be? And then what style of play that looked like? And then what we needed for that, or what attributes we needed for the, for the players, both mentally and physically. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.